Hello and welcome to Pale Reflections, a proud member of the Doof Network where we reflect on Wildbo's most ritualistic work as it releases. I'm Ruben Morehouse. And I'm Elliot Diebold. And we are back to talk about uh, Stolen Away, chapters 2.6, 2.7 and uh, Location Notes. Is that what it's called? Something like that. Some yeah, pretty some pictures and some words next to them. <laughs> yes. We also, coming up later in the show, have uh, a discussion question. Some more predictions and a bonus bit on mana. So stay tuned for more Pale Reflections. <laughs> now on with the show, we open up with Stolen Away 2.6, which starts with Verona, um, because we're in her head. And uh, basically the trio are getting some more information on exactly what's happened here. Um, as a reminder, they have been escorting Alpi on her rounds and they found a place where some ghost had some eyes carved out or something, and uh, we find out what that or something is in this very chapter. Yeah, this is, like, it really feels like the action is heating up in this chapter. This yeah. is probably the the first one since, you know, maybe 1.z, where it's like, okay, like, the shit's getting real right now. Well, yeah, I kind of had this same thought because every potential dangerous situation they've encountered so far has been with a something on the other side that has promised you know sworn a life vow to never harm them basically so yeah. it's been like the training reels have really been on for most of this story so far um and even when they go into the spirit world in uh in in these chapters it doesn't seem that dangerous because they have alpian miss keeping an eye on them um it really feels like things are going to start to get proper dangerous going forward but we'll get to that when we get to the end of 2.7 yeah well wait 2.6 like this chapter starts to feel like the big things are coming into play. We have the bit with the Carmine yes. Beast. Uh, we have like external practitioners kind of one step removed from being involved directly with the Kenneteers. Like yeah. it, it, it feels much more like the chapter, a chapter where the overarching plot is starting to actually come to a bit of a head. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's also a lot of um, just great like world expansion in this. Yeah. Um, you know, this, this like- is a world building chapter like yes first and foremost i think yes uh we kind of see ghosts in a bit more detail and find out what their deal is um stone tape style echoes that relive experiences and the only way they can communicate is by flashing back to traumatic experiences which is horrifying yes uh for those who don't know what stone tape theory is go listen to deep impact we talked yeah, that about was it like there. the um, first arc surely somewhere in there. yeah it was, it was pretty early on i think but um i mean yeah the 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 TLDR of, of stone tape theory is that it's basically, I mean, exactly what we saw in, in 2.6. Yes. This idea that ghosts, as people see them, are actually emotional imprints left on the fabric of reality. Um, yeah. And I, I think what's crazy about how, wh- what they are here is like, it didn't occur to me till as it was happening, how fantastic that is as a like detective interview device. Like yes. having to interview one of these echoes, I was like, oh, that's such a cool way to do an interview. I love it. Yeah, because you're basically interviewing the concept of a trauma. And often if you're a detective like that, you'd be like, you're on the case of trying to resolve this specific trauma. So you're basically interviewing the trauma about itself, which is awesome. Yeah, and and, and even on a mechanical level, like you, the, the way these ghosts work is you have to tie things to the imprint like they're not a full yes. person so the 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 kennedys are having to find ways to like kind of phrase the question so that the echo can 
give a better answer. Um, mm. It's yeah, it's such a fun and interesting way to to do it. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Um, the other thing that we get, which is great, this chapter is a lot more Alpi focus, which is yep. great because Alpi's the best. Um, and I've put my finger on why I love her accent so much. It's because one of the things I like the most about Alpi is she doesn't try to be human. Like she's very open about, hey, I'm a monster and this is my job and that's just the role that I play in the universe. And the fact that her accent is phonetically transcribed just makes her text stand out more and kind of makes her feel more other in a way that's like, yeah, she's not trying to fit in. She just is being Alpi and that's so great. Yeah, I really like that because you're, you're right. I think her, her most endearing feature has just kind of been her blunt honesty about fucking mm. everything. She she doesn't come across as someone who's got any secrets. She's a very simple, like what you see is what you get, um, type type person. Um, I, I'm constantly impressed by how much like Scottish slang Wabo knows. Like as as I'm sort of reading the chapters, I'm pulling out any bit I don't explicitly understand and googling it, and it's often it's all just like actual Scottish slang. Mm. Like either Wabo is fluent in like scottish or uh like this must take so much work was it this chapter or last chapter where she uses the word boar bag i think it's this <laughs> which one it's a great slang yeah there's um, so much yeah. there's so much fun turn of phrase like some of it is actually just like full-on like phrases um yeah. not not even just like an individual word but yeah it's, yeah it's almost like like wabo must have had like a scottish slang dictionary the scottish urban dictionary like open next to him as he's writing her lines mm. Yeah. Um, can we, I want to touch on the idea of the outside practitioner threat a bit here, because this is something okay. that kind of evolves over the course of this chapter, next chapter. I'm, I, and I'm kind of, it's interesting to me and it feels like a very, uh, other versey kind of situation where you often feel like something is, someone says, you know, what the situation is and you go, oh, that's bad. But then the more you come to understand it, the worse it is. Like, <laughs> because the, the trick for this one is there's this person that's come into this scenario who they can't kill. They can't like, and not that they should, but they can't, they can't really take care of it. Like, I don't know what their solution is to this. Yeah. That, that's, that was very much my thinking is like, you sort of like, okay, well we can't kill them. We also can't like disappear them. Uh, like we just have to try and concoct a scenario where they just want to go away. It's basically yeah. like you, you need to fucking incept them with the idea that they don't want to investigate Kenneth anymore. Um, mm. I, yeah, I, I worry, because we've obviously had the speech from Miss about how if if these people come in, it's basically going to turn into a war, um, mm. and the Kenneteers are going to be on the front line. And at the moment, I'm kind of sitting here, and I, I don't see a way that that doesn't happen. Like, the, the fact that... Um, yeah. The fact that these people are already sending other spies into town i'm kind of like this is happening now right it's just a matter of time it feels like yeah the moment that sealed it for me was this chapter when they find the when verona spots the like i don't know warp eye glyph you know yeah yeah um is this moment of like well shit yeah (laughs) like what are you meant to do now especially for that one because i think that's like I want to say a direct interaction. That's not maybe not technically yeah. true, um, because it was like a weird floaty eye glyph thing. But I think Miss basically says that was uh, I forget her name. It's like Annette or something, Belanger, um herself. So it's kind of like they they have now 
you know, we've been talking so much about webs and, and getting tracked mm. in people's webs and stuff. This was like a, a, a basically a direct interaction. Yes. And there's not much they can do about it, right? Like, it's happened. And now they have to, what, sick uh, John or Guillermo on, on this person, which who knows what that means. I, I love how... I love how the Guillaume stuff is set up because, like, it's actually Alpi. Alpi suggests it. It's this bit where Misa's like, I don't know what to do. And Alpi's like, can we stick Guillaume on him? Because, like, you know, there's many a, a person who'll go toe-to-toe with a um a boogeyman, I think she says, mm. uh, but they'll run from a fairy. And, I mean, I think we've seen the word boogeyman a few times in this story. I don't know what it means, but, mm. um, like, I mean, you know, you can assume a boogeyman isn't, like, a friendly face. Um, there's i think it's next chapter when um uh verona someone maybe oh no it's in the it's in the notes on the places i think when avery's like um apparently this scary thing is called a boogeyman yeah (laughs) oh god i don't want to meet one of those i think they've mentioned that um john and munch sometimes scare off boogeymen as well Mm, Um, they sound horrifying so it's just like this it's just like but you know like even even without knowing explicitly what they are, I think from context we can assume that a boogeyman is not like something you want not to fuck a good with. Thing, yeah. Um, and so then to sort of like Alpi sells Gilhame as this person, where it's like, yeah, there's like real scary things, um, but Gilhame is is like the level above. And Miss seems like hesitant to use him. <laughs> like, there's a few moments where she's like, yes, I guess we have no choice. Which, mm. it, like. It, does this cost her something or is she just like is Guillaume like her fucking like you know back back up like nuclear mutual destruction weapon you know like what what is the reason for her hesitation because it's scary maybe just that it would be horrifying to sick a fairy on somebody you know yeah but but that's my point like that that means he's really fucking scary like and the the can of tears like don't sort of notice this and when he was interacting with them like we talked about how he was playing good cop and then, like, here, we're on the other side, and it's like, oh, yeah, you don't you don't want Guillaume coming after you, like, you know, he's fucking scary. So it's just, it's really any sort of, you know, idea that somebody might have had that Guillaume's not that bad, I think has just been shot to shit. Yeah, I think he's been staying in the background in these, you know, past few chapters where they've been interacting with him and, and Mariska, and uh, there, it's clear that there's some spooky stuff going on there. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think... Like the other thing that came out to me when Miss sort of goes on her speech here about, um, you know, like this other family and what they would do it when they arrive, like you know, why they'd go to war, is, you know, the most practitioners it seems have really, for want of a better term, othered others in that they just see them as tools, mm. um, and like I think what's really interesting about that is is what we're about to see is. I think Miss is maybe a bit of a hypocrite in that regard because she kind of does the same thing um, and, and talks about doing the same thing numerous times in in this chapter and in some previous ones. Mm. Like setting herself apart from other others. No, it's more like she she she's constantly whinging about how other practitioners, it's like, oh, they just see us as tools that they can use right. to fight other practitioners. Yes. But... It was it it was like 2.3 or something where she was talking about how she had like you know the riddle spirit and stuff like she had these others in her toolbox that she was using to distract yeah. other practitioners yeah yeah um yeah true maybe that's the answer to what miss is she's just a practitioner it's just been a big prank and she's the other practitioner yeah well and because i'm jumping ahead a bit but there's also the little eyeball thing that they bind at the end of the chapter 
And in that point, mm. she explicitly just refers to it as like a tool. Um, yeah. And she gets like the can of tears to sort of bind it and, and you know, bounce it back or whatever, which, you know, in the context kind of makes more sense. It was just the way she was talking about this thing and how binding it, she just treated it as normal. I was like, so which is it? Like, miss, like you, you talk about when other practitioners do it to others, it's terrible, but you know, you've got your own toolkit of others that you're using. You're helping the Kenneteers bind other ones. Like, I don't know. This might this this might be a really hot take, but I think there's something up with Miss. No. Yeah, I, I think it's a common theory that Miss is or was a practitioner at some point. So um, yeah, definitely that would kind of stack up. I just wonder. I I just wonder how she how she reconciles that, or you know, if she has had to face that cognitive yeah. dissonance. Like, if that is the case, that might be bit of yeah cognitive dissonance she's battling with and like you know would the same sort of thing happen to you know verona or something mm. Mm. yeah um let's talk about this ghost interrogation shall we uh, okay. it's a rough scene um but it's yeah. nice that wabo shows um still tells us explicitly that the that bev this person who left this ghost does manage to get some semblance of peace eventually which is nice uh, but not for this echo this echo is just the worst moment of their life repeated over and over again so that's fun yeah i mean i guess speaking of using others like i mm. I, I don't want to get into this debate with you again about what classifies as, as human <laughs> and, and can be at all actually i was this ghost felt surprisingly sentient to me in the way that it responded to questions yeah like it feels like it's quite with it it just can't communicate that that was my thinking as well. Is like it's it's sentient enough to understand and you know answer kind of indirect questions like outside the experiences it represents, right? Like it was it was answering questions about what happened to it, like as an echo, not yeah, from not what like the memories. Then. Yeah. So there's some yeah. level of sentience above just being an echo. It felt like sentience. It could be yeah. It could be, and it could not be. It could be some like automated response kind of thing, but it did feel sentient. Yeah, no, like I think it answers their questions. Like it, it's pulling from its nature as an echo, but the the way they're able to pull extra information out of it tells me that like there's a presence here that goes beyond just like being the memories. Like there's actually a bit of uh, a memory to it. Like it, it's its own individual yeah. being, and and we see that as well when Alpi comes in and she sort of scares them. And I guess, you know, that's just another thing. Like, this is a thing that, it, from what we've seen, like, to me, seems to have some level of intelligence or something. And again, like, Alpi and Miss just kind of treat it as a tool. Because one of the things that gets set, set up here is if you make it feel, like, happy or like it can go, it will. And we can't have that. So mm. you've got to kind of lean into to the trauma to help reinforce it. Which is awful, and uh, like, yeah, I I don't know, like I like it's just but, this, this whole thing, like I I it feels like there's this double standard with Miss where it's kind of like oh these things are tools and these things are not, and I I kind of mm. question where she's drawing that line. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. It's a good question. Um, Maybe she's just a hypocrite. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, but like I think Verona is the standout in this interview as well. Like she's just freakishly good at this stuff. Um, both because she kind of grocks the concept of the stone tape ghosts very quickly, but also she she kind of connects to the echo on a victim level because she can relate. Like she she sort of directly ties it to her or Clay, the the person who abused Bev, 
to her dad and is able to sort of use that to help set up the scene where they can get better questions from it, which is just mm. like, God, can we get Verona? Let's just make her Lucy's cat. <laughs> That's the permanent, you know, foster adoption situation they should take over. Yeah, exactly. I mean, could work. Um, yeah, it's rough, isn't it? Yeah, and, and I mean, it, it sort of follows on from what we talked about last time with Alpi with this idea of, uh, like, is is this justice what Alpi does to these people? Because, mm, like, like yeah. Clay is obviously, like, a piece of shit and, yes. like, fuck him. But, like, I don't know, it, like, with the, with the added detail that with the Carmine Beasts passing, these dreams are getting, like, more frequent and more terrible. It's just kind of like, it, I think that raises the question of, like, what amount of this is appropriate mm. yeah i don't know like the question of i mean this is getting back to these central themes of justice right but yeah the, the question of these others and the way that they've found ways to be you know as close to dexter as possible right in in the yes they're inherently bad but they are trying to use their bad powers for at least something that's approximating good right yeah um except for the hungry choir obviously um yeah I, it's interesting. It's interesting, and I, I think this is something that we're going to continue to explore as, you know, I, I think it's likely that in this story we'll get examples of some of these others losing it a little bit, um, and we'll get to see what it looks like and whether you can, you know, rehabilitate them, I guess. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, I think I think it's going to be really interesting to sort of, sort of explore that stuff, particularly when you start to talk about immortal beings who you can't just lock away forever, or... Well, or maybe you have to literally lock away forever. <laughs> you either have to or you can't. Yeah. 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 Like, I mean, the hung- the Hungry Choir seems like a great way to explore that from the Kenneteers perspective. Because, like, what what can you do except kill it? It exists as something... Like, I don't think you can rehabilitate the Hungry Choir, right? Mm. Yeah. It literally exists to, you know, be a... Uh, yeah, be like a be like an insurance company, right? Where everyone's paying in for for something that they never use, except the people who do, and then everyone else is just fucked. Yeah, and, but it doesn't seem like something that you can like reason with or try to change. Like it, it is, yeah, what it is. It's this incarnation of a ritual. It's not, yeah, someone who can be taught like morality and and learn right from wrong, as far as we can tell. So what what do you do? With, with the other it. thing about it, I reckon, is even if they do end up killing it, like it's it didn't just come from nowhere. It came from humans doing a ritual. So, like, it, if the website still exists, for example, it'll probably just come back because, like, if you kill the hungry choir, but the website with instructions still exists, that's people, you know, worshiping it to an extent, and that will probably just bring it back in some form. Yeah, I guess we're getting into that murky stuff that was talked about with the Carmine Beast. Where, like, what does it mean to kill one of these things? Yeah, like, true. I would assume killing the hungry choir would also involve the website not being available anymore sorry i mean the the like game guides website right um, yeah yeah i, which well, I don't know a part of it or would killing the hungry choir rewrite rewrite everyone's memories like it does you know or yeah true maybe i don't know or, or i guess if you think about it like people would just assume it was bullshit right like the game guide It'd just be like, you know, it'd be like people who's, who say they were abducted by UFOs where most people would just be like, oh, that Hungry Quiet thing's just like a stupid game. Like, remember yeah. Gabe had that bit where he was like, oh, you know, I guess it's not real. Maybe I'll contribute and post a, another fake video like someone else. True. But uh, even doing that, surely that would, 
like cause of resurgence in i don't know we've gone on a tangent yeah, oh, I, I see what you're saying <laughs> I, maybe not the hungry choir itself but maybe like that but would some you know, version of it that, or, that culture yeah. existing would lead to other rituals being born yeah anyway um the other question this raised for me was does everyone that alpi visits have some kind of nightmare echo thing like with the specific example being What's Verona's dad's echo that Alpi uses to, or would have used to torment him? I'm so glad we didn't see that because I don't think Verona could have handled that because it would have been her mum, right? Like, for real. I hadn't thought of that. And now that you've said that, like, I'm absolutely convinced. Like, what happens when they jump into the spirit world in a bit is we see that there's, like, a whole, like, stack of echoes sitting here, like, in this in the spirit world version of this room. Mm. And... Now that you said this, it's like, wait, Verona's dad's room in the spirit world must be absolutely packed to the fucking brim with echoes of the dude because he he must be generating these things at a mile a minute. <laughs> um, He's so powerful. I have to believe that that's actually going to come up now that you've said that because it's too good. Like the Verona's dad will just be generating so many of these echoes, and I wonder what they might be useful for. Well, like, yeah, on a character what a great way. What a great way for Verona to confront her problems with her parents is by having little echoes of her mum and dad that are generated by her dad. Or or even to see an echo of how he sees her, because that's the one missing Ooh. piece that we sort of have here is, like, we know the dude is a messy piece of shit with how he treats his daughter, but, like, the, the insight into what how he sees her, I think, will be heartbreaking regardless of what it is. Like, I, yeah. I guess... Verona seeing herself through a dad's echo eye might be very interesting. Yeah, yeah. I'm just thinking about it now. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, it sounds appropriately horrifying, so <laughs> yeah, I'm sure exactly. it'll come up. Um, so yes, the trio and Alpi head into the spirit world to try and track down exactly what's going on. This is, is so, uh, this is so the rest cool. of this chapter. The yeah, it's a cool place, so cool. isn't it? The idea of, um, I guess, like people's attachments or people's kind of the amount that people focus on a place, making it manifest in the spirit world is a great way for, one, the spirit world to accurately mirror and update in reference to our real world, but also, like, a great way of, of having it be useful in terms of showing, like, what people care about, what kind of things are emphasised or de-emphasised. It's, it's awesome. Yeah, like, I, I like the word emphasis there because it seems to be a world where it's powered by emphasis. I think in the bonus notes... um avery sort of refers to it as being powered by like shared subconscious it's like the more something's cared about the more important and bigger it is in the spirit world and mm. that's that's so much fun like i think my favorite little detail is how your ability to move in the spirit world isn't based on your legs it's based on like your will power <laughs> like how much you actually want to get there which of course is perfect because veronis is still lagging behind mm-hmm. <laughs> because she really struggles to give a shit about stuff um <laughs> Classic V. Yeah, well, she, she finds herself getting tired quicker than the others as well, because she's less practiced at, like, using willpower, because she's, she's you know, mm-hmm. quite lazy. Um, So, yeah, I just, yeah, I love everything about this world, and, like, you're right, I could totally see, like, you could use this, like, this would be a great source of clues and stuff, because you can see what people care about. Yeah, yeah, definitely, a very cool idea. Um, There's also a great moment here where Lucy kind of give gives props to the to the crew for a good interview which is very nice of her and kind of is a great example of how positive reinforcement is so useful because verona it sticks in verona's head and clearly leaves an impact with her 
Yeah, I mean, Lucy basically says, oh, we need one of us watching the flanks. And Verona does exactly that and saves them all uh, yeah. later. So, yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, wait, these three and the way they're bringing each other up continues to be the highlight of this story for me. And yeah. I, I, yeah, I'm pretty convinced that, like, if or when conflict with others, these other practitioners, whatever happens, like, I think they and us are all going to be surprised at how competent these three are together. Mm. Yeah. I, I think, like, the big twist for Miss and the other others is that they're, they've probably completely underestimated how great these three are going to be. Yeah. I, yes. I think the idea of splitting them up as a, as an avenue for dealing with them is almost certainly going to come up because they, they're so, they seem so competent when they're together. Yeah. Um, and we see more of that, this chapter, right? When they interrogate the eye ghost or whatever, the eye monster, um, they're like, they're a tightly oiled machine, right? Mm. Yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll get to we'll get to the ending where we can, yeah, really, really see that. Yeah. Um, for now, the next, the first thing that they do on their journey through the spirit world is they find their way to the spirit dance studio, where spirits all practice their dances, and uh, they basically are powerless to uh, do anything but watch as a tragedy happens. I mean, it really wouldn't be a wild bow story without a detailed description of a horrifying injury that makes mm -hmm. me just want to go and zone out for a bit. Yeah. Um. Poor Melissa. Mm -hmm. we, we we actually just brought her up in last week's episode and talked about how, oh, she actually seems pretty great. Like She seems chill, yeah. She just wants people to have a good time. And, like, something I, di I didn't notice until I was reading through the second time, but, like, everything I think we've seen her involved with has been sports. <laughs> like, she's always, she's it's always, like, physical activity stuff. And it's just, like... She was always trying to get other people to like, oh, you should also play this sport. You should also do like this physical activity. Um, I, I mean, I don't think she's going to be doing any of that stuff for at least a long while now. Uh, yeah. So this, this, like, I can see why this had so many omens around it. Like for her, it's a, it's a huge tragedy. Yeah, true. It will probably force her to uh, readjust her, you know, her thing, her, her vibe. Yeah, this is going to throw her life in particular off, like, yeah. very, very drastically. Um, let's touch on these omens, because that's fun, right? Yeah. These creepy omen things. Um, they're like, they're, you know what it reminded me of? They're like seagulls, but instead of hot chips, they flock to disasters. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it's funny, because, like, this specifically brings up the connection to, like, crows and ravens, which obviously yes. sort of exists uh in in you know western culture in particular like the idea yes. that you know crows are an omen um I, nah, I, seagulls i reckon <laughs> i mean seagulls are definitely i would pick crows over seagulls any day of mm. the week a swarm of ibises gathering around <laughs> you while you're you know eating hot chips or something don't reuben it's too traumatic um, <laughs> very australian references <laughs> <for people, I laughs> Um, yeah, I, I think one of the other interesting things about the omens is, I, I could be wrong about this, but I kind of get the impression that they seem to appear differently or a bit differently to each caneteer, mm. um, maybe even each person, but, um, like Lucy specifically mentions that they're holding like swords, uh, like, you know, she sees in her sight. And I think yeah. Verona maybe once mentions that they sort of have daggers or something. So... Mm. And, and, no, because she sees the the one like slice its sword into Melissa's ankle. 
I, I think possibly right. I found it hard to get like a, a clear picture of them in my head. Yeah. Well, and I, I think the thing that, that made me think this idea is uh, Avery talks about them in the, in the bonus bit after this and her description felt qu- kind of different to Verona's. Yeah, as basically shadows on a bright day, right? Yeah, and, and like I think Verona sort of said they were very thin, dark patches that came together, but like the way the shapes were described described to me just felt, yeah, I don't know, a bit different. Like, and, and like it would make sense to me because if the spirit world is this layer of reality where everything is emphasized based on like how important it is or or like what people think of it. If you're mm. looking at it through like your lens of what you think, like it makes sense that it would be kind of individualized. Mm. Like yeah, it, true. Like and Verona talks quite a few times about how the spirit world kind of makes her sight work like even more powerfully. Like what I'm kind of imagining now is is the sight is you tapping into the spirit world a bit, like seeing seeing like through a, you know a bit of a dirty lens into the spirit world a little bit. Mm. Uh, and, and so it would make sense that you know everybody's sight seems to be unique to who they are, and and it kind of makes sense that in a world that's powered by the shared consciousness, that that whole thing is then filtered through the lens of your ideas and your consciousness. Yeah, your specific way of looking at the world. Yeah, you know, there's not a single truth. It's yeah, um, you know, which which I think sort of ties into some of the some of the stuff we've learned by. How ineffective not being able to lie is 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 just a concept. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, here's something that occurred to me during this part. I don't. It's percolating, but stay with me. Okay. The fact that first tragedy we saw was Gabe, next tragedy we saw was Melissa. It's like, I mean, obviously, bad stuff happens to people with frequency enough that this doesn't necessarily mean anything, but. The fact that these are both people that they know fairly well, like, or not fairly well, but that they at least know somewhat that are in their lives to an extent, it makes me think, I don't know, it makes me feel like if, if we see one more of these, like Jeremy or Pam or something, I will, I will be certain that these tragedies are being engineered to specifically keep them distracted and on edge. Um, I know that the hungry choir is not related to this external practitioner that seems to be the <laughs> culprit here, but it just like it feels like it's slightly more than just they're the protagonists of the story. I don't know. Yeah, I, I mean, you're right. Like, we kind of need to see the statistics on how many people are having terrible things yeah. happen to them I, right now before we could <laughs> know if it's like they're above average but I, I don't been... want to keep having scenes where it's like oh what happened here oh this random guy Doug he yeah. died oh who's that oh I don't know <laughs> like that's not a good story but do you know what I mean I don't know no yeah absolutely and, and you know I think it, there's been so much talk in this arc about getting caught in webs um that mm. the idea that the the people around the Kenneteers are more at risk could definitely be something that you know we learn is the case yeah um but i i think at the moment i'm just willing to sort of chalk it up to things are unstable now that the carmine beast is gone and so these sorts of accidents are just increasing in frequency yeah Um, but the i i think the the omens themselves are kind of attributed to um the bell and jay's like interferences right 
Well, what, it, as I understand it, it was kind of like one omen was poking around and because they're like seagulls, when one thing is poking around, all the other seagulls come and check out what the first one's looking at in case there's some hot chips there, you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. But it, but that's the sort of thing is it's this idea that um, it, I guess that comes to the web sort of idea. Like these omens were sort of sent to sniff out if there's anything suspicious in this town yeah. and it probably was following some sort of tread that was leading it towards the Kenneteers or something. Yeah. Uh, and that, that thread went through Melissa. Yeah, fair enough. Um, yeah, I guess just the fact that they're connected to these people makes it inherently more dangerous because they're the focal point of attention around the town. Yeah, as the sole practitioners. <laughs> the one and only practitioners, yes. <laughs> um, it, actually, it's a... Yeah, yeah, God, that's heartbreaking. Uh, anyway, um, so b- the Belongers, we, we are introduced to yeah, the so Belongers. According, sorry, according to pronouncenames.com, it is Belongers. Oh, Belongers. It's yeah, French. Bit, bit French, yeah. Um, again... Another thing that just feels like it's slightly too much of a coincidence. I mean, again, yeah. the, the the straightforward read is, well, these are just other practitioners that are in the area. So, of course, they would have been, you know, involved with other things like Charles. That's fine. But, again, it's just like, ooh, a, a bit too convenient that it all ties together. So Yeah, no, this is one I'm, like, I was kind of skeptical about your previous one. I'm 100% on board with this one. I do not believe it's a coincidence that the people who wrecked Charles's life are the ones poking around here. Yeah. I don't know what, like, threads I want to exactly tie. Like, is Charles involved? Are they coming after Charles? Or do they just know that there's going to be something weird going on around Charles? It could be any of those. I don't know, but, like... It's going to be something, I think. There's no way that it's it's a coincidence that this family just has showed up again. The goal of having these three here is to be able to say, yes, there are other practitioners here, right? Mm-hmm. And so if, if I'm, you know, Johnny Belanger or whatever, um, and I'm like, okay, yes, I know this stuff with Charles happened how long ago? I don't know, three, four years ago, right? Yeah. Um, I know that. That, and that means there's probably no practitioners at this town. I'm going to go check it out. And they introduce me to three 13-year-old practitioners. I'm going to be like, well, what the fuck happened in those other three years, right? Like, and, and it's immediately suspicious because obviously the fact that they're all 13 years old begs the question of they can't have been practitioners for three yeah. or four years. So there's clearly been something else going along and these people were very, very recently brought into this world. Like, it just feels like not a very good cover story if the Belangers are the ones that are involved and know about Charles enough to know what that situation was. Yeah, and like Mrs. kind of brought it up as, as it's like if somebody starts prodding, those three will need to present themselves as the local practitioners. And like these three are great. I think they're doing a great job. Yeah. But, but anyone anyone yeah. that's gonna spot within five seconds that these three have been doing this for like a month. Tops. I mean, and what how much more could they they couldn't have awoken when they were like five years old? Like Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, oh, yeah. Who, who awoke you? Who taught you the practice? Yeah. Um, oh, my babysitter. Yeah. yeah. Uh, was, uh, uh, they did on an episode of Sesame Street one day. <laughs> um, yeah, you're right. Like, I, I think it's a cover story that went as far as we just need to be able to literally drop yeah. that one line saying, oh, our local practitioners are on it. Yeah, um, exactly. And it, it, it's, it's, it's a plan that doesn't hold up to even the slightest <laughs> amount of scrutiny from any other external <laughs> practitioners um yeah to yeah. the point where like i have to think the the others of the town are cleverer than this like i yeah 
and the yeah. way the way people are poking around like they can't have honestly believed that this plan would work long term well, yeah. it literally fell apart the, like because obviously the glyph has seen them now so when yeah. you know when um whatever like john says weeks. oh our local practitioners are taking care of it the next question is oh you mean those three 13 year old girls that i saw <laughs> john can't lie so uh, you know yeah uh it's it's gonna be like so interesting to to learn more about this stuff um i want to talk more about that in a bit actually but um yeah for for now i i just want to say the other thing here out of this whole segment uh with melissa's accident I, i'm starting to become less enamored by Albie, how dare you i i should say um how dare you say that <laughs> um like just because like we we've sort of complimented and said how great it is that she wears her monstrousness on her sleeves yeah i think i maybe had underestimated until this chapter quite how inhuman said monstrous was Mm. like there's she's got a very fun vibe in this whole chapter of like (laughs) god i just want to do my job can we can we like you know can we just sort this shit out so i can get back to my job Mm. um and it is very fun but also it's extremely heartless like she like all this stuff is going on with melissa and she's just kind of dismissively referring to it as like a cause for crying she's a bit pissed off that they're getting distracted um i i don't know i like i think i'm seeing the side of her that is just this cog in the universe's machine that has lost their humanity a bit more now hmm yeah i don't know she's just a dedicated worker she's, she she <laughs> believes in the you know the company values yeah, but there's a point where lawful good becomes not good. And like, I, yeah, I, think, true. I think she's I mean, crossed yeah, that I, line. It's not lawful good. It's at best lawful neutral. Yeah, right? yeah, fair, fair. Um, yes, you're right. Um, and, and speaking of Alpi, the, the girls do kind of interview her in this chapter, and she is not thrilled with their questioning. But she does seem to be innocent, so that's nice. Yeah, yeah. Like, as I said, it is kind of fun where she's like, oh, um, you know, can we just stop with this shit? I need to get back to my job. Um, and that that's why she just kind of starts to straight up answer the questions, although, she, you know, she has her fun Scottish uh, twang on them. Mm. Do you think the reason LP exists is so that while Burke can play off the um, the trope of, like, how in Law and Order they always go and interview the dock worker while they're at work? So <laughs> while just wanted to have some, a character who could be like, yeah, I'll answer your questions, but I have to do my work, you know, and unload crates or whatever. I feel like if that were the case, it would be like while she's literally digging. Oh, actually, that is kind of what happened. That is what happened. (laughs) She's like digging through Clay's uh, chest and making him piss himself as they're talking. So, yeah, 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 maybe. Alpie is the version of the Law and Order dock worker that gets asked (laughs) about every murder. Yeah, yeah. Um, (laughs) The the fun piece of another fun piece of world building that we get here is the idea of. Uh, familiars, domains, and implements uh, as ways to level up. I guess is how um yeah. how they see it. Um, yeah, and so look, super mile pack spoilers. These three things yes. like existed or, or came. We up, already knew about came, them. Came up in impact. Um, and I, I I just wanted to bring that up because this there's this bit where Avery suggests she wants to have like a cell phone as her implement, <laughs> and it's just the it's the best thing ever um good because like this is a bit of an in joke i guess in the in the packed fandom where like i i swear it's like every few months you see someone suggest like a new reader or someone will come in and be like oh i i would like a a cell phone as my implement um you know smartphone blah 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 and 
I I was like this bit with Avery asking that just felt like Wabo as he was typing out was just thinking I can't do this shit for another six years. Yeah, I feel like Wabo has already answered that quite like explicitly in a Reddit thread has written out basically this exact paragraph. <laughs> I, I've I've seen I've seen it multiple times. Like it, this yeah. is like the um the best comparison I can think of is like the Eagles. Wait, why didn't they just ride the eagles to Mordor yes, in Lord exactly. of the Rings? Like, it's one of those things where, like, new readers come up with it, like, every couple of years, and people who have been in the fandom for a while are so sick of it. And Wabo is is just like, I, I'm yeah, not, yeah, I'm not answering it, yeah. questions about smartphone implements for another six years. We're nipping this in the bud right <laughs> yeah, here. Cut it off right here. I mean, that's probably the whole reason he wrote the sequel, honestly. So people would stop <laughs> saying that one thing. This, um, this one paragraph. It's actually going to end next chapter. He, yeah. He, it's, he's done what he it ends with do. them what destroying a, a smartphone store and then riding off into the sunset <laughs> um, um so uh, the the thing is you know people have been theorizing about uh familiar implement domain like what will the will the girls get one of the three or whatever and who could get what and and we kind of hear more about them this chapter and now i want to hear if you have any bold predictions on this so yeah. I could see Lucy or Verona getting an f- implement, Avery or Verona getting a familiar, and not really any of them getting a domain. Um, I don't know wh- how or why they would get a domain. Yeah, I think I talked about in our Backed to Pact thing in like 1.2, so like in our second episode, mm-hmm. um, I if each of them were going to get one, I would see Verona getting an implement, Avery getting a familiar. I mean, that one's a bit of a gimme, I think. Yeah. Everyone's going to guess that. Um and then I, I picked Lucy as the domain person just because I think, especially back then, she was talking about just wanting to have a family and yeah. her house is the one that everyone goes to. Because yeah, she, her house she's is the one without one that's not a, shit. a shitty house. So. Yeah. Um, I, I, I'm less, I'm, I'm more leaning towards what you said there, like the, the lack of a domain for any of them. Yeah. But um, I think Verona is an implement and Avery getting a familiar both seem kind of like inevitabilities to me based on what we know about them. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I do think uh, like the other thing I, we should talk about here is Miss does a shit job at covering how much she doesn't want to tell them about these level up rituals. Yes, it's suspicious, right? Like she, she kind of she, she's like I, I think uh, Alpi sort of brings it up, and Miss is like, I didn't want to talk about that, and and then they sort of like tell us anyway, and she's like, oh, okay, well, a familiar is you know you tie to them like you know so you could tie yourself to like a vampire. And then goes on to elaborate that vampires are like the worst things and you should never do that. Mm. So it's like she she's like specifically picked an example that is unappealing yeah. to make the whole thing sound less positive. Yeah. Um, and there's like a lot of emphasis. Like, I mean, it's hard. Like uh, the other emphasis she places on all this stuff is, oh, these are lifetime commitments. Like you need to be really sure. Mm. And so I can kind of see... I think it would be fair to say that th- these three are establishing a pattern of people saying, hey, this is dangerous and you should think about it, and they just dive in anyway. <laughs> so there is totally a reasonable expl- explanation where Miss is like, I don't want to tell them about these things because they're going to make dumb, impulsive decisions. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and we, we want them to wait. Um, but there's also the part of me that is like, you know, this, this fits into her whole, oh, practitioners are evil and we don't want you thinking about doing this. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think it's, yes. Definitely. Um, do you think Avery will get Alpi as a familiar? Um, I mean, you know, let's let's see how their relationship develops. You could kind of like it, it's a lifelong commitment, right? Where you're going to be, it's just you and the other pair. Like it, it's definitely feels like there's a a tie you can make to marriage there. Yes. Um, 
and Alpi's already been told there's no one in town for her. I don't know if the fairy meant in terms of this, but mm. I, I don't know. I don't know that Alpi would give, give Avery what she needs. Like, Al, I don't know if Alpi's the huggy type. <laughs> no, I think she, the kinds of hugs that she gives are covered in black goop and you probably don't want them. Yeah, well, I think Avery needs someone who's going to care about her as well. And Alpi didn't strike me as the caring type in this chapter. Yeah. Um, I think Verona considers her, and that actually does make a bit more sense to me as a match. They can go and be heartless together. <laughs> if they want to be heartless, it should be Matthew. <laughs> hey. Hey. Um, anyway, let's move on. So um, <laughs> they continue through the ghost town, and uh, they pass by the Kennet Arena. And yeah, something is definitely up here, because it looks like the Carmine Beast's body was moved through here or stored here recently. Yes, because, uh, so, sorry, so we sort of skipped over. They have moved from the spirit world and they are now in the ruins. Yes. Which is a different parallel reality. Mm-hmm. I, we, need a, we need a better term for these things. Parallel reality works fine. Okay, okay. Um, yeah, I mean, this, this Carmine Beast thing is so fucking good because it's like this huge, very important clue. And we all just kind of have to be like, nope, nope, can't yeah, touch it now. that. Yeah, I feel like that's meant to make us suspicious of Miss, but I kind of liked it. I kind of found myself being more on her side based on um, based on how like you know open about it she was. Yeah, I like there's a, there's a reason nobody even questions what she says here. Like she's sort of like, now I know this is going to sound suspicious, but we need to ignore it. And she lays out the reason, and Verona does as well, and everyone's just kind of like, yeah, no, yep, that makes fair sense. enough. Yeah. Um, but but then that's the thing. Like, and it, I think Verona brings it up next chapter. Um, did someone know they were going to be coming through here? Yes. And, and like, you know, if, if you do it now because there's something else going on, like it's the perfect time to move it. If somebody knew they were going to be coming through and would have to not follow it up. Um, and Miss did fucking disappear for a huge chunk of this chapter. Oh, interesting. Like, uh, it, it's almost, it, it's one of those things where it's like, if I'm putting the pieces together, then it feels like it's too obvious. So it can't be that, but. Like, Miss was gone for, for longer than Alpi expected, and then now we're getting all this Carmine B stuff, so she's on the list of people who I think, you know, should be under investigation on that front. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. Um, let's talk about how Verona is dealing with the Lucy situation now that we're inside her head, uh, because she's kind of, in a very, what feels very emotionally mature, she's kind of identified, hey... This was terrible. I was using Lucy. And then she kind of relates that back to her relationship with her dad as a, hey, I don't want to turn into my dad kind of thing, which feels very emotionally mature. So good work, uh, Verona. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, again, these three are just killing it. They're making each other better. Yeah. It's great. Um, (laughs) I don't know. We get this bit with the glyph. We get all these parts where I'm like, they just are so out of their depth. They just can't do anything here, right? Like, this auger just, like, knows the situation now, totally. Yeah, I, I feel like the end of 2.7 leads me to believe that we're going to focus in on the Hungry Choir for a bit again, mm. um, as is becoming the end of arc tradition. Um, <laughs> Each arc is just another person getting banished by the Hungry <laughs> Choir. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. It's sort of like... It feels like we're going to maybe get distracted by the Hungry Choir stuff again. It's like the second that's over, you know how like they come out of here and it's like, oh shit, there was the Hungry Choir. Mm. I feel like then we're going to go to the Hungry Choir and it's like the second yeah. they deal with the Hungry Choir, whatever that like, means, oh, shit, the they'll, they'll pop out of the Hungry Choir's yeah. dimension and it'll be like, 
It'll be oh, 3 a.m. this time. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, you know, the Carmine Beast's body is, you know, I don't know, Exploded. hung up on the arena and also the, <laughs> the Belangers are here or something. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I could see it. A great way to escalate things. It, it, it's almost like a time skip, right? Like skipping <laughs> yeah. over to the important bits, but doing it in a way that feels like it's constantly, like it's all in sequence, which is nice. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, so uh, the trio confront the eye thief and manage to fairly effectively subdue, question, and redirect it back to the creepy auger to uh, go and mess with them, but not kill them. I mean, this is pretty badass. Like, Lucy is a fucking kick ass here. Oh, she yeah. uses her invisibility. She's got, like, fucking hatchets she's making out of books or something. Um, like, she fucks this thing up. She's great. They They all do so well here. Again, feel like a well-oiled machine, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> I think we found out what was the name of this auger. It was like I keep wanting to say Nicole, but that doesn't sound right. Nicolette, maybe. Nicolette, yeah. Um, I think we found out the name of it specifically so that we wouldn't just assume it was Heather. <laughs> <laughs> I think that was intentional by Wabo's part, being like, "No, let me nip this fan theory in the bud. This person's name is Nicolette Belger." Uh, yeah, I mean, potentially, uh, it, it's definitely, yeah, I, I love it as a name reveal because it's just raised so many more questions mm. that, like, I'm confident we'll get answered, but yeah, it's great. Um, and then this chapter ends with Alpi taking the group home and, uh, shit, it's 2am, the Hungry Choir ritual has happened and somehow the, f- the footless woman won, which is insane. <laughs> I love this as a cliffhanger because it's like, what the fuck? Like, what is this even? How did this happen? It makes no sense. Yeah, I I thought I kind of understood the the last night ritual. Mm. Like obviously we we sort of were learning about it indirectly, but I thought I had a grasp on oh this is what it involves. But the fact that this woman managed to win it, I'm just like, okay, what is this last night? She seemed to have to take seven things from well, the seven s- of them. Seven body parts from each of them. So one eye from each of them, a clump of hair from each of them, some blood, like, yeah. and eat them, right? Presumably. Yeah. Um, which is bonkers. And also, genuinely, I it's not possible that she did it without some kind of interference, right? Yeah. Well, it's, it's interesting because I think there are different rules. Like, I don't know if it's as combative um in that last night because uh, like reagan talked about it when it was her like was it a it wasn't her boyfriend but it was like a a sort of older brother figure or something who gave mm. up and it was sort of mm. the thing because that was when she'd given him one of one her eye. eyes yeah um so like it, it kind of seems like there's maybe a bit more of a um bargaining part to to that night or something okay i guess because that's the only way i can explain how this footless woman managed to get 49 body parts to eat i think it was some kind of interference possibly from a belgier now here's something elliot yeah there's been a lot of eye related imagery this chapter yes i was i was going to bring that up as well like this thing just stole a bunch of eyes as we were chasing it all chapter and then there's a specific attention drawn to the fact that this other chick ate seven eyes Yes, the hungry choir mouths, big thing. So therefore, I think we're going to see, and this is a 100% accurate theory, a bunch more others that have to do with noses, ears, and other facial features. <laughs> so stay tuned, because we're going to see it. There's going to be some kind of nose-based monster 
which like sniffs you out. You know, maybe it's like a bloodhoundy kind of thing. There's going to be an yeah. ear-based monster, which like listens for you really good. Or it's like that scene in Reservoir Dogs where one of the characters, spoilers, but you know, that, that scene stuck in the middle with you, that classic Reservoir yep. Dogs yep. scene. Maybe like a sense of touch thing, like another that just goes around touching everything. Anyway, just stay <laughs> tuned because that's going to happen. I'm trying to figure out which one Miss might be. Well, Miss um, is also kind of I. I mean, oh no, okay. Oh my god, <laughs> Elliot. Oh my god, okay. It all adds up. Why do you think we can't ever see Miss's face, Elliot? Here's the answer: because Miss's face is lost and broken up into different pieces that have all become other sentient others. So oh Mrs. God. Mouth went off and became the hungry quiet. <laughs> Mrs. Eyes have become presumably the Belangers and will find Mrs. Nose and Ears and whatever. Over the rest of this story, and then the story ends, I guess, with Mrs. Facial Features all being put back together, like uniting like um, fucking Power Rangers or, or Voltron style. And I, I was going to make an Exodia. Exodia the Forbidden Yeah, yeah, yeah. She Exodia's yeah. back together. <laughs> so oh, I figured yeah, it out. Okay. That's it. <laughs> yeah. Um... I don't know. I, I'm interested because obviously we, we're going to head into this final night with Reagan. Um, I, I kind of see a potential loophole here in that if if this footless woman can win the last night, mm. and again, like I think I think it's absolutely a valid fear theory that the Bellingers were like affecting that or helping yes. her. If it's not, and it is just way easier to win this other night, there's always eight people in the ritual, right? So if somebody wins. Sounds like the other seven are still there. Yeah, but they've lost and, like eyes and toes or whatever. You know? Yes, but then it's it's going to be someone's last night, right? Like if you can create a situation where it's, where always, it's always someone's, someone's last outside. night, yeah, right. Then it's easier. You just have to put up with being like you know extremely sort of handicapped for a couple of weeks, and then you get to be a supermodel or whatever when after you win, like. You could generate a lot of winners by creating a system where there's always someone's last night in the Hungry Choir. Uh, yeah. I mean, I think the fact Maybe. that if you're generating a lot of winners, it probably will stop working, but yeah. Well, I mean, no, that's the thing. Like, I'm talking about how to defeat the Hungry Choir. Like, if oh, you I generate see. all these right. winners, like, might depower it. Yeah. Yeah. I reckon that would work. I mean, it feels like a bad plan. I'm sure there's, like, a hundred reasons it wouldn't work, and I can't wait to find out what they are. Can we talk about the fact that, like... You know, jumping ahead a bit, but Lucy has said that she wants to help Reagan, which great. And obviously mm-hmm. it's possible if the Belangers helped uh, Footless Woman, but maybe that's not what happened. Like, it feels like that's too easy. If the Hungry Choir is just like, yeah, sure, you can help her win and that's fine. Like, I reckon maybe the Hungry Choir let her win, and I don't know why, <laughs> but maybe there's <laughs> some, like, galaxy brain play here of, like, Letting this woman win and then that fucks over Reagan or or the Kenditeers specifically? I don't know. Yeah, well, I mean, because they did run... Well, we didn't touch on it, but they ran into a waif in the ruins tonight. So, I I, I don't know. Something... The Hungry Choir, I, I agree. Whether it's whether it's someone like the Bell and Jays or something, or whether it's just the Hungry Choir itself is up to something. Like, there's something going on there. Like, exploring it is going to mm. be more than just helping raven i think there's going to be something to learn from it yeah yeah i agree we'll see um anyway that's the end of the first chapter so we move on to stolen away 2.7 yes we shall it it begins with verona interviewing some gobbos some goblins <laughs> i love goblins so much so this whole scene is <laughs> yes. fucking hilarious and fun you know, like gash just 
absolutely annihilating munch to get vomited out leftover chicken nugget is just so <laughs> ridiculous. I love this whole scene. Yeah, they're pretty great, aren't they? Um, I, I want to touch on the fact that the first, you know, five or six paragraphs of this chapter, we don't even know that Verona's interacting with goblins, which she must be so distracted that goblins, literally the most, you know, distracting, noisy things that we've seen, don't even register in her brain for like six paragraphs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think like the the writing for the opening of this chapter does this really fun thing where it kind of zigzags between um like verona thinking on like i guess her lack of comfort in her own clothes and her own body um which is obviously setting up stuff later um and then also sort of zigzagging into like briefly teasing us with the goblin stuff but like out of context you're just really confused like it's just talking about chicken nuggets getting eviscerated and you're like what but what yeah yeah uh, it's a fun, of course it's fun, like these goblins, they're great. I love Cherry Pop, she continues the streak of being the best character in the story. Yeah, her herself, okay, self-deprecation doesn't feel like the right word because it's too soft, like she's mm-hmm. not deprecating, she's like self-annihilating. Self-flagellation, um, maybe? Yeah, yes, yes, it, but it, it's so oddly endearing, like she's a little trash nugget, um... And she thinks she's a little trash nugget, and it's adorable, and I'm glad she got a chicken nugget. Yeah, well, multiple, right? Yes. <laughs> I love how she's, like, actually, like, distended by the end of this chapter. Like, she's she's eaten so mm, much no. that she's physically changing shape. It's hilarious. What a way to be. What an ideal state. One that I hope to get <laughs> to one day. <laughs> um uh, Yeah, the, in fact, the whole stuff with the nuggets is great. Like, the... The way Verona kind of really effectively handles this scene, plays and manipulates the goblins in just the right ways to get them to actually genuinely answer her. Like, great stuff. Yeah, she she's able to use some simple facts about them to just completely play them off each other, like, very effectively. It's great. Um, she does kind of relate it to how she interacts with her dad, which is a depressingly fair um, read mm. on the situation. But, yeah. Mm, yeah um there's this other bit where i think it's munch blunt munch who almost calls louise a bitch right louise the prologue character yeah um, i think he's saying it's when he's talking about when the carmine beast was killed and he yes. says oh we ran into the, bur- the prologue, uh, yeah. woman yes which like it felt strong and i know that's a crazy thing to say about goblins but it like i do you think this is just goblin speak, or do you think they especially hate her for some reason? Um, I read it as uh, like on the second read through, I I saw it as you know he's he's trying to keep it PG thirteen, yeah. Um, uh, according to his contract to CEO yeah. Toadswallow, um, yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't know, maybe uh, I can't imagine why they would have particularly strong feelings for or against Louise, but mm. maybe we'll see. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I. We've we've kind of been waiting for Louise to come back into the story, right? And she hasn't, and it makes yes, me feel I, like I, there's. Me- mm. Oh yeah, it, it, it's like there's been a couple mentions of oh we're going to talk to her after we've talked to the others, but she's been such a non-presence in the story since the prologue to the point where it's yeah. almost suspicious. It, yeah, that's what I was going to say. It feels like there's something going on there, right? I don't know. I mean, it didn't. Yeah. She didn't seem suspicious at the time, but 
Who the hell knows? This story so effectively has us chasing our own fucking tails. It's <laughs> yes, great. It really does, doesn't it? Um, so Verona keeps talking to the goblins, mainly Munch, uh, and they kind of talk about, you know, the basics of being a goblin and pecking orders and their histories and stuff. Yeah, yeah. And anyway, there's actually a bunch of really cool info to talk about here. Um and I want to start with the fact so we get we get more explanation as to exactly why Toadswall is hiding out here. And it's basically that to be a goblin who does his sort of thing, he needs to make sure that like only those in the know can summon him so he can't be used against people who summon him because that would sabotage his business. Mm. And that just strikes me as impressive forethought. Like I think I know real human companies in the world that don't protect their integrity and long-term business strategy as effectively as Toad Swallow. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. like he, I, I mean, everything we've been told about goblins is that they're simple and they're not long-term planners. And, and yet here Toad Swallow is like, you know, he's now got employees. He's, he's got long-term strategies for his business. Like there's just, there's something about this fucking goblin. I could see why he's listed separately from the others. I don't know what it is, but like, there's something about Toad Swallow. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard to put your finger on, but you're right. The fact that he's, you know, we, I guess we already had his interview at John's house, but it feels like there's more to do with Toad Swallow. I, I suspect goblins might become a focal point of at least a few chapters, if not an arc. Yeah. Like, I don't know if I'm willing to give him enough credit that suddenly I think, oh, he, he killed the Carmine Beast. No, I agree. But... It's something all the talk that Munch goes into here is he starts to talk about the the like origins of the town as it is, I guess. And I, mm. I'm interested to learn more about how Totsoloi fits into that because I reckon that's where he's going to come in. I think he's someone who's like he he feels like an evolution of the other goblins, I guess. Like in the way he's like running a business, like he he's he's a, a new or a different breed. Um, mm. And I'm just interested interested to see if that if that's maybe him going somewhere, whether that's where he's going to go. Yeah, yeah, maybe, maybe. I don't know. We'll have to see. Um, I I want to touch on the a fact that, and we kind of talked about this a little bit before, but the idea that Munch kind of explains how he's like almost a Dexter, like he <laughs> he almost is is punishing bad people, but he also just makes the victims of these horrible things also suffer it almost as much as the perpetrators which is like and like he explains how the police also will not be at peace because from their perspective there won't be closure like it just is he yes he takes you know some kind of vigilante vengeance but in a way that gives no closure to anybody involved yeah exactly at the same time as sort of enacting a bit of like karmic justice on the perpetrators by ruining their lives they also throw the actual police into disarray the victims don't get closure like it's it it, to me like if we're bringing back to this this justice metaphor it's like this idea of you know this vigilante revenge-based justice isn't really fixing the problem as much um Mm. because you're right it just creates and spreads more bad um it it just it, it sows chaos and badness yeah, I love this as a way for Verona to question her own moral compass as well, right? Because yes. it's something she's obviously struggling with since last chapter or last few chapters. Um, and so a good way for her to examine it. Although I think she's a bit hard on herself, maybe. I don't know. She she seems like she doesn't trust herself at all at the moment. 
I mean, yeah, she's going through a bit of a my moral compass is broken, um, like crisis uh, after yeah. not noticing the stuff with Avery, which, like, yes, but also, like, to me, this is a a quintessential example of like how genre fiction amplifies normal people problems like this is such a normal 13 year old problem to have i think like wrestling with am i morally broken um mm. I, I feel like we all had a stage where we did something as a teenager and we're like oh am i am i broken or something and like rose is just going through that it's just for her it involves like fairies and goblins and shit <laughs> yes it's kind of amplified by the way that this world seems to just amplify every problem that people face yeah exactly exactly um yeah yeah, I like that. Um, and we also start to see that Matthew and Edith possibly are a bit more sus, right? Um, yeah, they don't come out of this looking good. Yeah, it seems like Edith was up to something that day, right? That we haven't really heard about. Yes, because so she was basically alone slash missing slash already knew about it before she got told. Yes. Um yeah i mean yeah she definitely comes out of this and you're like okay we need to go have a conversation with edith um, yes I, and that's i i feel like that's the red herring like for me i feel yeah. like what i latched onto from this was the part where munch talks about the black dog killing um mm. specifically because that just feels like the origin story part of of Kennet, like it was this huge turning point i think for the town from the sounds of it we get like a specific list of who was there and what they were like um i don't know like i'm just picturing this in the in the film adaptation of pale as like the scenes where there's like lots of bloom and the borders are kind of blurred mm. and we're always cutting back to this pivotal scene as as we are like unravel all the all that was going on because it's mm. just i i, I don't know I don't know why it's important yet, but like much talks about how that's when they probably chose John as the as the next Carmine, um, well, next Carmine entity, the next Carmine dog or whatever. Yes, um, I like that extra detail of of how they get their titles um, that we won't. But yeah, I, I yeah. don't know. There's, I think there's going to be something important about like that incident, and maybe Kenneth. Like we don't know much about how Kenneth became this little other oasis um mm. like separate like i maybe it sort of ties into all that but I, I i'm really latching on for basically no reason to this idea that this scene 15 or so years ago where john shot the the black dog as being very important yeah i mean i could see it we'll have to see i don't know you can't you can't throw all your crazy fan theory energy away each chapter otherwise you'll just be too drained when the next crazy fan theory comes along <laughs> Yeah. So I'm not going to get too on board with this one. I'll let you handle this one. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah, I'm going to brainstorm and come up with a crackpot theory as to why it matters. Yeah. Like, is this when the plot to yeah, kill the Carmine Beast was decided? Yes. And please make sure that it has something to do with facial features so we can tie it back into my great <laughs> misprediction from earlier. We'll do. We'll do. Um, so Verona wraps up. Oh, actually, we should touch on... Verona says before she leaves that uh, she says... They're getting to be my favorite goblin, Cherry. And I pulled that line out just because I agree 100%. Yep. So good stuff. Great work. She's Cherry. so stupid. She's so pathetic, and we love her for it. Exactly. Um, also, I, th I think before we before we leave this segment, uh, they get more gifts mm -hmm. from the goblins. Um, yep. I'm so glad that this story has these extra material bits because like, I, I'm starting to get overwhelmed by how much the Kennedys now have in their arsenal. 
Um, yeah, just the amount of the sheer amount of things that they have. Um, yeah, we're gonna need another inventories chapter in soon, I think. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We're just gonna have to get inventories two point nine or something. Um, mm. Yeah, I, and I mean, I love I love the bit where Munch is talking about his gift. He's like, "Oh, I've got like the stink bomb and some firecrackers, or I could give you like loan access to this." Um, oh, what did they call it? It was like some sort of dog that they're going to create by going out to. Well, yeah, like, they're going to kill. Of, they're going to make a new dog. Yeah, yeah. Uh, by like you know killing a bunch of bad people. Um, uh, but like, yeah, yeah. God, those hundred percent. Those that, what are they? They. I'm not even going to say it. It's too horrible. I don't even want to repeat it. Yeah, but no, that, it, that was that was one of the more dextery moments where I was like, okay. Yep, go for it, Munch. Approved. <laughs> um, um, but yeah, like, you know, but he's like, yeah, oh, we're planning to gather enough of them so we, we can like kill them so terribly that we'll hope, hopefully create a dog um, and then we could loan it to you. And Verona's like, I think the firecracker and the stink bomb and much is like trying to sell her how much cooler yeah. like a killing machine would be. Um, yeah. No, she just wants fireworks in true 4th of July spirit. Yeah, exactly. Um, that would be a very interesting uh, dog, I think. It would be very different to John, I imagine, this other dog, if it's being created out of these kinds of people. I think mm. Verona made the right call. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I don't. Want, I wouldn't want her to associate with that, right? Um, and again, speaking know, of maybe... others, others being hypocrites and having others as tools, Munch creating a dog and then being able to loan it out, kind of like one of his best mates is a dog. You know, it's mm. weird. Yeah, um, yeah, <laughs> it, it is weird, right? I feel like the fact that they offer to loan it to Verona is their ploy at trying to like tangle them up in more gross, disgusting stuff, just as a way of like. I don't know, just as a way of, uh, like, ingraining more grossness in their lives, I guess. Yeah, I mean, that that does seem to be what goblins kind of do, is, uh, like, give you... Like, all their gifts are kind of things that are just designed to, like, be crude and annoying. Like, it's like stink bombs that they're getting, you know? Like, they're just spreading their awfulness. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. It might not be intentional. Um... I don't want to be too harsh on the goblins, basically. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, Verona decides to head home, not really knowing what she's going to do. But on the way, she bumps into Jeremy and a cat. Yeah, and, and so there's a lot of contemplating before she actually uh, hits Jeremy and uh, Marissica the mm. cat. Um, mm. And there's so much emphasis here. Like, again, like this is where all the stuff from the start really comes to a fall, where Verona is just miserable in the heat and her body and her clothes and she's just kind of done with the whole thing yeah um yeah it's pretty grim right yeah i think that then they have this nice interaction so okay so she's yeah cause she's thinking about her other plan which uh, now that she's found out about familiars involves becoming lucy's familiar which is great but i i, I actually really sorry just to change it i I don't hate that as a plan. I'm going to be like, without knowing more about what being a familiar is, I feel like that's kind of a middle ground that doesn't seem terrible. It's, it's an upgrade from her previous plan for sure, but I still don't think that's (laughs) enough to make it a good plan. That's, (laughs) that's fair. That's fair. I, yeah, it's not the hanging out with Lucy and becoming a familiar. That's the problem. It's the becoming an other that I think is the problem. (laughs) Right. 
yeah, but you know, this seems like an okay way to do it. I mean, I guess that's the whole thing. Becoming an other presumably makes you immortal. Um, yes. Or are all others immortal? Like, are the goblins immortal? I don't know. Yeah, anyway. I guess. I mean, they they certainly took a beating this chapter, so. Yeah, that's true. Okay, um, yeah, never mind. Like, but, you know, I guess the point is, is if she's trying to become a kind of other that's immortal, um, mm. Lucy's going to represent a very small fraction of her life, probably. Yes. Like, what a, does she do for the 10,000 years after Lucy's passed? Yeah. Um, I don't know. I I think Verona... Uh, it's interesting. Verona's obviously isolated, as all three of them are. And I really think this scene with Jeremy couldn't have come at a better time, because it is a a lifeline, right? It's an injection of some human, you know, non-practitioner interaction into Verona's life, which is good. Yeah. Um. I think... This is actually the first like human interaction she's had outside of the Kenneteers because her dad doesn't count. Um, yeah, he's not a human, obviously. New <laughs> exactly. <is coming> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, we've joked before. If anyone's on the path to becoming other at the moment, it's that fucker. Maybe he um, is a ghost. Maybe he already is a ghost, <laughs> just reliving the trauma. <laughs> like the real Verna's dad is long gone. <laughs> Jeez, well, yeah, you he's wouldn't just... know, would you? Um, no, there's no way to tell. <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah this yeah. this scene with jeremy is just like classic teenage awkwardness um like you know it hurts to read in that sort of cringy kind of way like uh he's great i think like jeremy perfect. yeah oh no no jeremy kills it absolutely he he comes his attitude is so great he sort of comes in with this hey so like i figured out you liked me on the app he very much implies that he is the one who liked her yeah. Um. So he's sort of like, okay. So it wasn't a pity thing. Like I haven't misunderstood. You. You seem like you might be interested. If you want to explore that, like I'm keen. Like he's he's yeah, kind of just yeah. putting himself out there and not putting any pressure on her. Like beyond just Which like is the exact right approach to take with Verona. So um. Yeah, yeah but it's stuff. just it it hurts to read from Verona because she's just freaking out. Like she has no idea how to cope with a person wanting to be close to her because her experience with that is her parents and they've just completely fucked that sideways um yeah but like obviously she walks away from it with this thought of like yeah that was good until the boyfriend girlfriend stuff which is a which was bad but not frustrating right it's basically how she walks away from it and that's like perfect you know start showing her that interactions with other people outside of the trio can be positive and not shit and um you know reel her back into society that way exactly and as you said no pressure is absolutely the way to go with verona yeah um I, yeah, it just sucks cause as well, because she, at the start, she's basically thinking to herself, like, you know, she 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 wants to swap spit with him, right, is is the joke that she makes. Yes. Um, so she's, like, she's clearly keen, but also, like, she's just got this baggage right now, and, I yeah, I bet I hope for Jeremy's sake that he's a patient dude, I guess. Um, mm-hmm. But, yeah. Um, yeah. Maybe she can become Jeremy's familiar. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. I mean... To, to go back a bit to the whole other, or, you know, Verother plan, um, we do get a bit more insight into Verona's thinking on all of this. Mm. Yeah. Um, like, basically, her, her thoughts on becoming her other are just that, you know, she looks at the rest of her life, which involves more school, getting a job she doesn't like, to pay a mortgage for a house she doesn't like. And, you know, she just... Yeah. I mean, I think we were all there for a little bit as teenagers, like oh, we've yeah. all had that thought and it's like she she's in her i want to peter pan moment she's obviously just getting it a lot more seriously because of her home situation 
Yeah. And to, to your point on the operation to become an other not being the way to go, mm. I mean, didn't Miss specifically frame being a familiar as like a break from the monotony of being an other? <laughs> like someone like Alpi who has to do their job forever. It's like, oh, okay, well, now she gets yeah. a bit of a break to be a bit human. So it's like Verona is trying to. It's grass is greenism, 100%. Yeah. Like, I, I think that Lucy put it best kind of unintentionally when she said to Verona that now that they're practitioners, it's like being saddled with debt. They are basically saddled with debt. And becoming an other would be even more like that. You would be in debt to the universe. You have to carry out your specific you know role and ritual and whatever which presumably for verona is i don't know moping around and and petting cats but like that would be (laughs) her thing she would have to continuously do that and and that's that is even a lighter thing than it would probably be which is like i don't know dealing with shitty parents like maybe that would become her thing as an other and that would obviously be the worst well it depends what side of other you become but i mean like our other points of reference are, are people like alpi where it's like she just has this kind of job and she does it every yeah, day. She, she, she doesn't really have a say. I mean, Verona had that weird obsession with whether Alpi had a boss, which I always thought was hilarious because <laughs> like, her, her dad has just instilled to her this idea that you have to get yelled at by a boss to do something. Yeah, um, yeah otherwise it's not a proper job. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So she couldn't fathom this idea that Alpi didn't have like a sentient boss who was yelling at her to do things. Um, yeah. But like, Alpi to me is like our example of like, and other and, and like you know we've seen it with john as well like john what does he do all day he sits there he plays video games he 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 like you know does his patrol or whatever but like he it, it, like all of the others you know who are stable seem to just sort of have this routine that they're stuck in and that kind of seems like the opposite of what of what verona wants yeah like i, I think this is why i tied verona to the fairy like they're the closest and, and they're fucking psychos like that's not i don't think they're like, i don't think the fairy should be your life goals yeah, there's. I don't think there's a positive outcome of this. I, I just, it's a mistake. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, one other thing I'm a little worried about is we're, we're theoretically heading to the paths quite soon, which makes me worried that Verona's going to get there and be like, "Oh, this is the place where things get made into others." I'm just going to jump into this, you know, pool of mysterious liquid or whatever, and and try and otherize herself. Um, I I'm not worrying. worried about that. I, I, personally yeah. i think Fair enough. yes these three have established a pattern of diving in without thinking but they think a little bit and yeah I, we do I, actually I think, see this chapter verona thinking about things more which is good yeah i think verona is is you know just smart and impulsive and, and sorry and unimpulsive enough to be like the sort of person who would try to pick what kind of other she's going to become and I don't mm. know if you get that sort of a choice. Like, we don't know enough about the lost others. Like, if she gets to the path and all the other lost others seem great, then sure, we can be worried about that. But I think she's not desperate to become any old other, you know? I think she's specific. Sure. She's, got, she's got specific things she wants to achieve. Yeah, fair enough. We'll see. I, I just like, I don't know. I, she feels like she's too close to the ledge for me to be comfortable taking her to a place that's explicitly about making others. <laughs> <laughs> like breaking down others and stuff. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, hey, sorry. Cool. Just quick thought that I just connected. And this is backtracking yeah. the whole way. Um, facial features? No, no. Um, oh, yeah. no we, so, okay. To put Charles in the center of things again. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, like the the augur, augurs and stuff have just come back into it. But like something that they talked about a lot in the ruins 
was that like necromancers and stuff will go in there to try and make custom shit yeah wasn't that what charles did like he made others right that was something we learned yeah. at one point I yeah thought. yeah he so he i would, don't know he just was, tying yeah he just tying him. charles to the ruins i guess is 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 all i'm bringing up oh as in potentially involved with moving the carmine beast's body or whatever oh well potentially like all i'm saying is is I think it was said somewhere, maybe it's in the bonus material, that the ruins mm. is somewhere where practitioners will go to like help build stuff. And yeah. that was Charles's old job. So there's a little indirect connection to the ruins for him there. And if we're trying to build a list of people who'd go to the ruins, maybe yeah. he needs Put to be Charles on it. on the list. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Fair enough. Keep our eye on Charles. <laughs> um, so <laughs> so uh, Verona gets home and decides to practice practicing and she turns herself into a fucking cat and then goes to visit <laughs> Avery, I guess. It's just because you do, that's what you do when you're bored. Yeah. I want to read out the line um, she thinks here as she's kind of kneading herself into a cat um, because she, she's trying to think thoughts that will help the transformation along. And she thinks, I am a tiny predator. I am related to humans, but not confined by that relation. The cat walks alone. Mm. Um, which is just fantastic. Verona. Double yep. speak. It's so Verona. It's so uh, yeah. Like you can see why the cat has been her image since you know the awakening ritual. Um, this applies yeah. to cats just as much as it does to her. I mean, maybe she is just going to become Lucy's familiar, and her animal form will be a cat. Like because you know cats are obviously like. In the human, in our world, they're the idea that people have of like a witch's familiar, right? Um, yeah. I don't know. Maybe it's all foreshadowing for Verona becoming <laughs> another and becoming someone's familiar as a cat. Yeah. I mean, maybe. Um, let's talk about this uh, because <laughs> it's so crazy that she'd turn into a cat, right? Like, it's just a, like, I don't know. It just seems like a weird thing to do. I mean, I like it. It's a great idea as long as she doesn't stay as a cat for more than two hours because then you'll get stuck like that. That's how that works. But um, as long as yeah. that doesn't happen, I'm sure she'll be fine. It's just, just a weird idea for it. Like, just like, I don't know. It just came out of left field, right? Uh, it did and it also didn't. Like, as we said, yeah, this chapter true. spent so much of its early parts establishing how uncomfortable Verona was in her clothes and her body. So, of course, she yeah. escapes into her her cat sona um yeah i mean so now just have we have we made any curiosity killed the cat jokes about verona because obviously she's no. been tied to cats since one point yeah. two let's um if there's a moment that she get, gets a little bit too curious let's keep that in our back pocket and i'll edit this bit out we can edit this bit out so that people won't know if we haven't already made a curiosity killed the cat joke about verona we should probably just pack it up right here oh okay all right well that's the end of the show <laughs> folks um <laughs> so we haven't uh, so yeah, the, uh, she goes to Avery's house, and we see this house again from the point of view of a scared animal, which is great. It's terrifying. <laughs> Carrie is terrifying, and it's also weird that Verona's being pet. I'm still kind of getting over the cat thing, I guess. Just weird. It's weird. <laughs> yeah, it, it's so funny because we said how Verona meeting Avery's household was going to be a big thing for her, <laughs> and she still managed to do it on hard mode by becoming a cat by turning into a cat. Um. And it's so, like, it's so funny. I love how her plan to escape keeps getting foiled just by people being in rooms. Like, she keeps entering new rooms, expecting them to be empty. 
And it's like, wait, there's people in this room there's in the house? What is everywhere. this bullshit? Yeah, this house is full. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, like, she's just, like, she's getting completely, su- oh, yeah, just completely defeated by the idea that people are in this house. Um, yeah. It's it's absolutely <laughs> hilarious. Um, uh. And then, I mean, I actually, I, I thought the petting thing was very Verona. Like, we sort of talked about yeah. how there's that, that part of her who, who wants the 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 physical attention or anything but doesn't want any yeah, of true. the commitment and that's such a yeah, cat mode to shit, come up that and is get like pets a cat. get pets like it's <laughs> she just wants to be able to walk up to somebody and get pets yeah yeah the second shit, she wanted pets in the same way that a cat did i was like oh yeah fucking course because that's so verona like the the second yeah. you actually try to like you know be in love with the cat or whatever that it's gonna fuck off it leaves you uh, yeah <laughs> <laughs> that's so good oh classic like, unless <sighs> unless you're very very close to the cat, like it's Lucy or something, you know. Like, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, speaking of Lucy, is the next person that Verona, Cat Verona, visits, um, and they talk about wanting to interrupt the uh, HC ritual. Yes. Um, quick side note: you sort of touched on before how Verona shouldn't stay as a cat for too long, mm-hmm. and I wanted to point out she starts to exhibit even more cat-like behavior in this segment. Yeah. Where um, so specifically the quote is. Verona tested her hand-eye coordination more, targeting a stray thread sticking out from the sheet. <laughs> Which is like, okay, why have you picked a stray thread sticking out from a sheet? Yeah. That's such a She's fucking a cat, cat move. Like, yeah. Oh, oh, this is a decision I'm making. It is not at all being influenced by the fact that I'm a cat right now. Yeah, she's at severe risk of Tobiasing, I think, but um, it seems like it's all going to work out okay. Uh, yeah, it does for now, but like... It, it, I feel like in the later parts, there's more of these moments where I'm like, that was a particularly cat-like thought that you've just had. Um, like, I'm, I, I'm worried that, yeah, as you, sort of, as you sort of say, there's risk of you getting stuck more and more like this. Maybe um, the more she uses her sight, her eyes are going to turn to cat's eyes as well. <laughs> this is going to be a very gradual... Yeah. What do her eyes do? Is she the one who has the purple, purple eyes they? in the sight? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, okay. That's not cat-like, I don't think. Maybe. Pebbles is um, step one, and, uh, you know, like, <laughs> cat eye slits is step two. Fair, fair. Um, but, yeah, sorry. So, to go back to what you were actually talking about, this this <laughs> yeah, whole thing with focus Lucy. Focus on the actual stuff, yeah. Yeah, this this whole chat with Lucy, though, is just, like, Verona, I, I, I love how, Verona comes into this as, like, a, hey, do you want to talk about stuff? And Lucy goes to talk about the practice, mm. and Verona's like, no, 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 let's talk about you. And like help you prep for counseling, so you make sure you're feeling like you're getting a lot out of it. Like she's being an absolute <laughs> top-notch fucking friend here, and delivering yeah. on everything she kind of said she was. And Lucy just completely deflects it and, and keeps it on the practice. Mm. And I was just like, oh, Verona's finally doing the right thing, and Lucy is dub- yeah. doubling down on like not wanting other people to support her. And it's like, fuck Lucy, let people help you. Let Cat Verona help you. <laughs> She's literally here to be your support animal. Just let it let <laughs> yeah, it happen. Exactly. Yeah. Though there's definitely imagery that these two wouldn't be a great fit as I don't know because like everything like Lucy tries to pat her in the wrong spot. Um, Lucy <laughs> holds her wrong when she picks her up, which not only yeah. just very cat thoughts, but like I don't know. I feel like that's setting up this imagery of they wouldn't be a good fit like this. Yeah. Fair enough. Um, it it does seem like Lucy do- just can't do the right thing here, right? In the way that yeah. she interacts with Verona, um, which yeah feels like it's saying to us, "Hey, don't get too cozy in this dynamic." Um, yeah, 
Yeah. So uh, the obviously the hungry choir ritual is building up. Like it's it seems like narratively we're going to be paying attention to the combination of it as we get to Reagan's final night and the group, you know, do whatever they want to do there, which is theoretically show have a showdown with the HC, you know, challenge it to prove itself, all this kind of stuff. Um, yeah, it seems like that's uh, culminating here. Yeah, exactly. It does feel like everything's coming together. We're bringing the paths in, which I just, I can't imagine that's actually the best way to do this based on yeah, what that, that note said. Why is that the right plan? I don't, yeah. I mean, I Get guess Reagan they just need to, to drive you for fuck's sake. Like she's going to be driving there herself, you know? Um, yeah. Yeah. It, it, yeah. So anyway, the paths seems like a stupid plan to me, but whatever. Apparently, that's that's what we're thinking. But um, it might help them it, get it, some it, tools or something as well. I don't know. Yeah, it does feel though like yeah, all the threads are starting to come together. We've got the hungry choir. We're bringing in the paths. Like these are sorts of the the two big things that have been getting talked about. Um, yeah. this this arc. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Um. So yeah, we'll have to see how that resolves next time. Uh, because right now we're diving into the location diary, which is fine. I mean, it feels like this uh, is one of the bonus bits that the bonus materials that doesn't um, contribute much new information. Uh, but they're just nice descriptions of, you know, giving us a bit more of a concrete uh, idea of what the spirit world and the ruins are and doing some nice drawings of some of the stuff that they encountered. Yeah, there is a bit. Well, there's a bunch of new information, but it's more of a consolidation than it is yes. like a revelation. Yes. Um, absolutely. I mean, for me, like, I love the text, and we're going to talk about that. But, like, let's, let's be honest. The highlight of this bonus bit was absolutely the <laughs> fucking die or little pictures the little and margins, spread yeah. throughout the pages. They're fucking yeah. fantastic. Yeah, I tried to dive through them to try and find some hidden meanings or things in the drawings, but... I couldn't find anything. All I found was there was a piece of graffiti that said pessimism ho. I don't know what that means, but <laughs> assuming that's important. I'm assuming that uh, <laughs> there's going to be a character introduced called pessimism ho. Well, I, th- and I think that's, I think that's Wabo slash Avery making a joke about how negative all the words that were pointed out to us were. <laughs> um, yeah. Like, I think... We didn't even touch on the bit where Verona moves the word jobless when they're in the spirit world and that spirit has the freak out, which is so fucking yeah, I, funny. No, I mean, her dad's going to get fired, right? That's what's going to happen as a result of that. Or, yeah, someone someone in her life is going to get fired and or someone else will get the job, I suppose, or a job. Mm. Um, I mean, yeah, God, the last thing her dad needs is to get fired. Fuck. But, but maybe then he'll only work one job and he'll be a good parent. Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm sure know. that's how it'd go. He'll get fired at one job, promoted at the other, and then he'll be a great parent and it'll all work out. What are, what are the odds you're taking on that one? <laughs> like, like, no odds. I don't think it's going to happen. <laughs> Even as um, I was saying it, it's obviously impossible. <laughs> uh, yeah, but um, I, yeah, I, I think one of the other interesting things is uh, Avery has drawn herself and the other Kenneteers in their sort of spirit animal forms like it looked like more than just a master man it's actually like a girl with a cat head a girl with a deer head a girl with a fox head yes um like it's more like and maybe i guess that's probably what they looked like in the spirit world um but it's just interesting that's becoming more and more their identities especially as verona is literally turning into a fucking cat on her days off yeah i mean is the next step gonna be that avery and lucy are gonna turn into 
like a fox and a deer i don't know maybe i mean you would like honestly i'm kind of on verona's side on this one i would be glamoring myself anamorphing day in day day out like Mm. Mm. i'd absolutely be stampeding into whatever trap marissa curricula may be laying out for me yeah um let's uh yeah i guess that's that's the end of the main parts we're gonna move on to doing uh, hold hold on but like we should we should quickly talk about the the spirit world and the ruins i guess we talked about the spirit world yeah but um this bonus bit goes into a lot more detail on the ruins and i feel like it's still something i'm getting my head around um but they're this like place that takes uh, like you know bad emotions and leftover thoughts and abstract ideas and kind of breaks them down for recycling or something i don't Mm. know it's it's a it's a really interesting abstract kind of idea like the spirit world i get it it's like an emphasis based reality the ruins i'm still kind of wrapping my head around Mm. yeah i I, yeah i kind of conflated them i think when i was reading through a bit more than i should have um and this helped to differentiate them a bit but i still see the spirit world as like this this thing and i'm not really sure how the the ruins slots in like i haven't got as clear a picture of it i suppose yeah like how do all these bit different parts of reality kind of fit together like we've got the carmine beasts domain we've got the hungry choirs which we know sits next to the ruins i think there was mentions of other ones um at one point yeah yeah anyway yeah so still still something i'm i'm trying to figure out yeah we'll see um Shall we move on and talk about some extra bits and pieces? Yes. Uh, so for today's bonus bit, I don't know. Well, you know, we used to do monster corners and stuff. I don't know if we ever had a term for these sorts of bonus bits. Just bonus um, bits. Yeah. Okay. So I, I just want to talk about mana, uh, which was the stuff that was brought up in mostly 2.6 and, and also that mm. bonus material yeah. uh, as the sort of flaky tumor-like growths of white stuff um, that, you know, uh, I think it's in the bonus material. It's actually listed as uh, like fuel for the spirits. Mm. Um, I just want to talk about I mean, it because it, it's. It reminded me of literal video game manner, right? Yes. I, I, I'll get to that actually. Uh, I'll oh, okay. ask that question again in a minute because that's a, that's okay, a yeah, separate yeah. thing. Um, Sorry. So, but yeah, the, this, this manner spelt with two N's that we see uh, here in here in pale is uh, like presumably i think a reference to some stuff that actually appears in like the old testament like some you know abrahamic religious texts it actually comes up in the quran as well mm. um but so manna in in this stuff is in the book of exodus and it was like a food that god gave to the um israelites as they were like wandering the desert after Moses got them out of Egypt, you know, like after they crossed the Red Sea and all that. Mm. Um, so they were wandering the desert for for years and they ran out of their food. And um, so God basically gave them this white flaky stuff. Um, so basically exactly how it appears in the spirit world in this book. Um, and in the book of Exodus, it would gather around the Israelis kind of like dew, like while they were sleeping, they'd sort of wake up and there'd be a layer of it around all their tents and stuff. Uh, mm. And they were able to gather it up and, and eat it throughout the day. Okay. Um, you couldn't hold on to it for more than a day or it would like go rotten. Um, but yeah, uh, so this, this was basically, you know, f- food that um, the, the Israelites got access to uh, that, you know, sort of w- was fuel for them. Uh, and and that, that's really the only time it appears. 
and it's like video game mana, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, so that actually is a completely different thing. Um, oh. Really? They seem like they overlap a lot. How can they be different? That's the thing. Completely separate. Mana, in, in terms of what you're thinking of from like video and role-playing games, um, actually comes from uh, a Polynesian concept. Um, so, so mana, the white flaky stuff that we saw in this chapter and that comes from the book of Exodus, that's, that's actually like, it, it comes from a Hebrew word, uh, or sorry, a Hebrew phrase, menhu, which means what is it? So the stuff oh, in the Bible is basically called what is it? Um, yeah. And mana, as, as you'd know it from video games and role-playing games, is, is from this Polynesian term that just kind of means like supernatural power. Right. Um, like in the Melanesian and Polynesian cultures that it comes from, uh, mana with one N is this sort of spiritual life force that permeates all of the universe. It basically is the same as the spirits in pale um, right like any anyone and anything has mana and you can cultivate it and you know use it to store power uh it's not a source of power like it is the power mm. um and it was brought to like the west in the late 19th century and then mm. in the 1950s some people started to use it as like a magic meter in short stories and then from there it was picked up by role-playing games and then eventually like video games and, and became what we think of today but it's actually mm. just entirely separate from this this completely other idea of of mana with two ends that existed uh in the abrahamic religions okay there you go fun fact but um i mean this is what i love about the concept of of the other verse is mm. like both of those completely different like mythologies line up perfectly mm. with with this world like i can see how manner how manner from the the old testament entry fits into pale i can see how like the concept of manner in the polynesian and melanesian things sort of would work in the world of pale like it just manages mm. to make so many different mythologies work yeah 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 it's a great it's a great uh kind of underlying system that allows it to be so kind of belief centric that makes that all work yeah exactly um cool good good learnings um <laughs> now we had a discussion question last week talking about who's the most monstrous monster um yes or the most monstrous other and we got a lot of really good answers and uh i think we'll let you go through and read some of them i just wanted to pull one out that i really liked that was just so galaxy brained that i thought i had to bring it up on the show um which was a response from megafire and read it yourself because i'm going to summarize it badly but here we go Basically, Megafire points out a kind of three-beat that we didn't really touch on uh, last week, which is that each of the three characters have had the opportunity to let the practice affect their personal life, and only Verona rejected that opportunity, right? So Lucy had the curse that she laid on Paul, Avery had this moment where she transformed into Kel to Dr. Pam, and Verona had this moment where they were escorting uh, Alpie, where Alpie was going to, you know, do her thing on her dad, and Verona rejected it, right? Um just a fun little beat that we saw. Um, and then Mega extrapolates that out more to touch on the fact that the other two were, uh, you could say that the other two were because they weren't together as a trio. Lucy and Avery were both in situations where they were missing one other member of that group, right? Lucy had Avery, but yeah. no Verona. Avery had pa uh, had Verona, but no Lucy. Um, whereas for I think, Verona, I think they we, were... we touched on that in, in our episode yes. a bit as well, right? This idea that there was a bit of an imbalance whenever it was two of them. Uh, yes. We didn't. We didn't tie it as concretely as Mega has. 
but yeah. Yes. Um, but yeah, and so we can kind of say that this, the reason that Verona rejected this was because they were all together, right? That's, that's yep. cool. And then Mega takes that one step further to say, well, actually, the reason that Lucy wasn't there for Avery and Verona whenever he talked to Pam was because Lucy got grounded because of Guillaume, you know, delaying yep. this conversation. So she got back late and got grounded. And then that kind of spiraled out because that situation meant that Verona wasn't there when Lucy and Avery bumped into Paul. And this whole thing spiraled out from Guillaume. And so therefore, Megafire's answer to the question was the Fae are the most monstrous because they've been, you know, intentionally having these people, having these three Kenneteers use practice on, in air quotes, innocence. Um, well, in air quotes, for Paul, innocence more strictly <laughs> for the others, I guess. And for Verona's dad, I, I don't know if he's an innocent. Anyway, um, uh, yeah, like Guillaume has been fucking with them and, and taking this step to intentionally try and make them more other by having them prey on innocence, in quotes, right? And therefore, the Fae are the most monstrous. And I just loved that answer. I just thought it was so good. Yeah, I mean, I definitely, I love the Fae as this this idea of like representing those people who don't technically break the rules, but they're fucking with things just enough. Like, you know, they didn't do anything mm. wrong, mm. but what they did is they created situations where the Kenneteers were more likely to do something wrong themselves. Mm. Yeah, definitely. Um, like, you're right. They don't, they don't, like, stab you in the back, but they put you off balance and let you, like, stab yourself. Yeah. Um, yeah, exactly. Like, very much abiding by the oath that they made, but also engineering situations to get the outcome that they want. Yeah. Um, I mean, like, a lot of the other answers that we sort of got, like, I think John was probably the most common, least monstrous other, um, <laughs> yeah. which I just love because despite his introduction, everyone has just completely gotten on board. Yeah. Um, He's with just how chilly a, he is. plays video games. He plays Pokemon. Like, yeah, cool. <laughs> Well, we don't know if he started playing Pokemon yet. What if that's corrupted him? What if he's going to start binding other others now? Yeah, he's learned the wrong lesson. <laughs> um, yeah, and I think um, Marisica and the Hungry Choir were competing for most monstrous. Yep, fair enough. I think uh, everyone thought the Hungry Choir would show up there a few times. <laughs> yeah. Um, now, let's take a moment to do one of my favorite things that we do on the show, which is call out awesome predictions that the community has made in our Pale Predictor sheet, which is linked down below. I want yeah. to pull out a prediction that I really liked uh, by a user, Brian Wuh, Brian Wuh, um, who says, Brian Wuh, Brian Wuh says, um, the reason that Miss is scared of the Hungry Choir is because the word Miss is repeated three times in it, just like how you summon her. And so it's trying to like, <laughs> drag her in and and then pulled out the literature <laughs> i shall not miss a single beat i shall not miss a single word if a single word i miss um so she's potentially going to get summoned into the hungry choir ritual <laughs> when <laughs> someone who knows who she is does it which i just think is such a great weird left field way for that to happen that i would love to to uh, see that eventually <laughs> yeah god i i had forgotten that we're sitting here trying to figure out why miss is so scared of the hungry choir specifically god yeah. I mean, knows? honestly, I don't I don't have any better ideas. How dare you imply that that idea is not perfect? <laughs> um I I pulled out a theory by lapsed classist um mm -hmm. who uh, this was an entry into the who done it um sort of situation and basically uh lapsed's idea is that Matthew and Edith kind of let the doom do it. Um 
basically it was maybe mm. an attempt to get rid of the doom by pushing it into something powerful or something. Yeah, I like um, that. Like, so try, they were trying to get rid of it, and it kind of lashed out and managed to kill the Carmine Beast. And that would allow them to sort of say, oh, it wasn't us because it was actually the doom that they let out of control or something. Yeah. And I mean, and we'll I, another common theory we, we see the is that the Carmine Beast committed suicide. Um, yeah, that I've way, seen that common. a lot as maybe, well. Maybe those two aren't distinct. Maybe the doom got into the Carmine Beast and it couldn't handle it. Yeah. I, yeah, we'll have to see. Um, I, I love that idea. I love the idea that the doom is related. And we'll have to, when we finally get around to interviewing Maddie and Edith, we'll see uh, what they have to say about it. You know, because they've been yeah, asking the question of, like, do you have any theories of what happened? That's a question that would be pretty damning for Matthew and Edith, if that's true. So we'll see. Yeah, but it's still an easy one to get around, right? This is that whole thing about how English is such bullshit. Because, oh, do you have any theories about what could have happened? And, like, you could be like, yes, and then make up another theory that isn't the theory that you yeah, really true. think happened, you know? like You could say, yes, it could have been this. Yeah, that's exactly. True. And then... and. And then just like, you know, lie by omission, which I don't think yeah. is something that's punished here. Um, just not bring up your actual theory about what happened, which is like, oh, yeah, we were fucking with the doom. And, uh, yeah. you know, it lashed out Things in that same out direction. Yeah. yeah, yeah, we'll see. We'll uh, have a chance, hopefully, to read into the wording of that interview shortly. Coming up in... Yeah, I can't uh, imagine it's too far away after how bad Edith came out of 2.7. Yes, Morgan. exactly. Um, cool uh all right well that's the end of our show thanks for joining us folks yeah. uh it's called pale reflections why don't you check it out on itunes and leave us a review Do uh it. yes you can also find us on the twitters yep. uh we are at media md podcast that's where you that's find my live reads episode announcements all the good stuff how come our twitter handle doesn't match the name of our show elliot what are we doing i mean that's a good question uh but the, the twitter handle did come from our other show media md Oh, how can people check that out? Uh, they could head to doformedia.com. That's where you can find out about all the shows on the Do For Media network. Um, in fact, forget MediaMD. Uh, we'll do yeah. it. We're doing Battle Star Galactica. Check it out. But um, yeah. we're, we're also actually running the game club about 12 hours after this episode comes out. So yeah. uh, go have a look at the calendar for more. But uh, the game club will be talking about FTL. About Footle. Yes, uh, I'm excited to dive into it. I've really been enjoying Funnel, and I think it's a great game and a game that I'm gonna have. We're gonna have a great conversation about. So, um, yeah, game yeah. club on Footle in twelve hours. Um, yes. While you're checking uh, and if you're out, interested, oh, sorry, oh, no, yeah. please, no, 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 please. If you're gonna take the, you know, the swing, yeah. <laughs> okay, okay. Um, if you're interested in, uh, you know, having your say on what is covered in things like the game club or the book club uh becoming a patron is the way to get your voice heard uh that's how you get to vote and and you can even pick episodes of some shows if you donate at a high enough level so head on over to patreon.com forward slash doof media to find out you know what you can get yeah there's all kinds of great perks discord access bonus content oh matt and his brother have been doing some great bonus content the super freeman bros just talking about a lot of deep interesting topics so um all kinds of cool stuff if you head to patreon.com forward slash defeater. Yes. Uh, and of course, while Bo writes this story, uh, mm -hmm. he's the one keeping all these fantastic characters out of the ruins. Uh, yep. And if you don't donate to patreon.com forward slash Wildbo, he may not continue to do that. So please do. How about this one, Elliot? Uh, if you want to refill Wildbo's manner, whether you spell it with one <laughs> N or two, head on to patreon.com forward slash Wildbo. <laughs> Yeah, good times, good times. 
My this favorite part of my uh, my favorite part of the episode is trying to tie back something from the episode yeah. to a reason why you should go to Wild Bo's Patreon. <laughs> anyway, and of course, of course, one day we'll actually think to do that before improving it. No, no way. It's more fun if we just have to <laughs> make one up randomly on the spot. Anyway, this is the kind of great conversation you get after we finish the outro. So stick around <laughs> for for more stuff like this in future episodes because. There's almost always a few little bonus minute or two of random ramblings where we reflect on the process of doing a podcast. My um, favorite random ramblings are the ones that are about our random ramblings. Yeah, it gets very meta on this show once I haven't been sleeping good for a few days. Yeah, God, I'm exhausted. Let's um, <sighs> let's let's uh, let's call it there. All right. Well, thanks everyone for joining us. See you next time. Bye.